What's next in innovation? That's not the right question. It's where. Puerto Rico is more than just a tropical paradise. It's an innovations paradise where startups and global players coexist in a vast and vibrant ecosystem where talent runs deep, highly skilled, and bilingual. Plus, Puerto Rico has the most competitive tax incentives in the U.S. If you believe your business can go anywhere, this is the place to bring it. Find out more at investpr.org slash economist. The Economist. Hello, and welcome to The Intelligence from The Economist. I'm your host, Ora Ogunbiyi. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. Russia's President Vladimir Putin is promising to intensify strikes on Ukraine. Speaking at a military hospital yesterday, he claimed that a Ukrainian air attack on the city of Belgorod sought to intimidate Russia and was a deliberate strike against civilians. On the Ukrainian side, forces say that they shot down 35 drones over their territory last night. Yet, missiles have still hit the cities of Kiev and Kharkiv. Mr. Putin claims that Russia's real enemy is the West, which he says has set the task of dealing with Russia, but that Russia will deal with them faster. And he says that the war is swinging in Russia's favor. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, disagrees. What we didn't give them possibility to occupy any city this year. And it was, I think, huge success. If somebody doesn't recognize it and doesn't understand, that is the problem of people who doesn't live in Ukraine and can't understand what does it mean. He spoke with The Economist in a defiant New Year interview, setting out why the next few months will be crucial. So, Ari, this was not an interview in person. The previous two times that Arkady and I had seen President Zelensky, it was in Kiev. This time it was over Zoom. And he clearly wanted to lay out what Ukraine's goals were for 2024. But it was, I must say, a very sobering interview. Zani Minton Beddoes is The Economist's editor-in-chief. She spoke with President Zelensky along with our Russia and Eastern Europe editor, Arkady Ostrovsky. I remember, Arkady, you and I spoke immediately after. And I said, my gosh, that was a very different vibe to the previous two times that we've spoken to him. He was angry. He was frustrated, visibly so, actually. You could see his hand banging on the table during our conversation. And I think his main message was one that the world was, he thinks, is turning its back on Ukraine But it's a real mistake to not only underestimate what Ukraine is doing, the successes he sees that it's having, but more importantly, that he sees Russia as an existential threat and that the West needs to see that. That seemed to me to be one of the big messages. What's Zelensky's take on the current state of the war and Ukraine's goals in the coming weeks and months? He framed Ukraine's goals in the same way that he always has done in terms of 
deoccupying, as he says it, retaking Ukrainian territory, defending Ukrainian territory. He did not reframe the goals in any way. But he did say that he keeps being told by others that this is not possible, and he was frustrated by that. And there was sort of visible anger and frustration that that message appeared, as he saw it, not to be getting through to the West. And I think he used this basically opportunity to lash out, in a way, at the West and what he sees as waning support. I think he's worried that there is a perception of stalemate, that there is a perception that Ukraine is losing, that Putin's got an upper hand, and he is worried that that narrative will become not only dominant, but will actually start undermining further support. The goal is to occupy our territory and to defend our territory, to defend East and South, to save these very important cities of Ukraine, Kharkiv, Dnipro, Zaporizhia, Kherson, Mykolaiv, what been saved this year. It was very difficult. But the goal is to be stronger. When we speak that we believe in victory and sometimes we hear that you live in some dreaming world. But what I want to tell you, no, we live in real Ukraine. And of course, you know, during two years of full-scale war, of course, people are tired. It's physically difficult because we are just people. But if you will compare the situation with our people and with soldiers of Russia, if you will compare, you will understand who really tired. So our goals didn't change. And I hope that the goal of Russia will change. The frustration is palpable. There's a lot of pressure on both sides at the moment, but in territorial terms, it's really been a stalemate. The counteroffensive has not achieved the goals that he laid out for it, the optimism that he had earlier in 2023. And I think there is a realization of that amongst Ukraine's Western allies and partners and the desire for a battle plan, if you will, for a plan for 2024 that is achievable and they are asking for clarity and Ukraine wants to know what weapons it can have. And there's a kind of catch-22 between those. And you can really sense that frustration from him. I think that's true. The Allies want to see clear political goals being aligned with the military capabilities, which they think they can resource. That is the key for further support. It was interesting. I thought that Zelensky actually was not talking about how much territory Ukraine is going to retake. He was talking about defense in the east of all those cities. And despite his frustrations, despite what seems to be waning support from allies, he's clear that now is not the time to negotiate with Russia. Absolutely clear. And to be clear, he's not under pressure from either European allies or the United States to negotiate with Putin now. It's quite clear when you see the scale of attacks on major cities in Ukraine that Putin is frankly, I think, beginning to think he has the upper hand. He is playing for time. He's waiting for the US election. So there isn't any direct political pressure. But there are many people in the West who feel that in the end, this will be a negotiated settlement and therefore talk about negotiations. So I asked him about that. That is not the moment of discussion of compromises or not compromises because we don't have any fundamental uh, steps forward to the peace from Russia. So you don't have it in menu. You don't have any real proposition. I see only steps of terroristic country. He's very clear about that. Russia 
as he sees it now, is a terroristic country. Zelensky coming to Russia to ask them to stop, he thinks will only be seen as weakness by Putin. And frankly, he's probably right. I think he is right. And Putin actually is saying that much. Putin is feeling not euphoric, but extremely confident that he is going to wear out the West and he is going to completely exhaust Ukraine and overwhelm its air defenses with the attacks that Russia has been launching. And for Putin, the only talks is basically Ukraine's capitulation. Zelensky knows that Russia doesn't want a peace with Ukraine. He did talk, however, and I think he's also right about that, that Putin wants a pause. He wants a pause to rebuild his forces. Zelensky absolutely has been dealing with Putin and having been withstanding this war for two years. He knows that there is no settlement with Putin. Now, Zelensky and his allies seem to have increasingly diverging views of the state of the war and Ukraine's prospects. What's driven that change? It's interesting. Zelensky was quite clear that his view was just his view, as he put it. And he said, I'm not unbiased in this. But he clearly has a very different perception of Ukraine's success than the perception many outside have. And he actually... As so many people, he blamed the media in part for creating that. He said Ukraine is much stronger than it is being represented as in the press. Stronger than in media, because in real life we are much more stronger with all our challenges and problems. But in media, I read, you know, another Ukraine than we defend each day or where we live in. So sometimes I think that the focus of the world is another. Sometimes I see even some Ukrainian media focus on other things. This is the problem. This is not real life. And I think he is trying to sort of slightly reframe the situation here because he says, let's get back to reality. The reality is Russia has not gained any significant territory in the past year at all. And Ukraine managed to defend its cities. And the fact that the cities of Ukraine still function despite this terrorist attacks on civilian targets, is a sign of, of Ukraine's strength and its success. So if you live in Ukraine, your perception of the big sort of picture is very, very different from looking from Washington or from London. Arkady, what does President Zelensky think that 2024 might mean for the war in Ukraine? What he was very clear about is that this year will require a different effort and a different attitude inside Ukraine and internationally that Ukraine needs to mobilize further. This is a very sensitive issue because for the past few months, Ukrainians have lost, he felt, the sense of this existential threat that was there at the beginning. You need that sense of existential threat and you need that trust uh, in your state to mobilize more men to go and fight. And I think this is going to be one of the biggest tasks for Ukraine. And he is also demanding the same step up from his international partners because, as he put it, It's not just Ukraine's war, it's everybody's war. And the West is defending itself by giving Ukraine weapons and money. The 2024, this is the new page. And you will see, because that will not be the war in Ukraine. This is the war not in Ukraine. Because informationally, the challenges in the Middle East, the training mission of Hamas, that uh, pushing Arab world, the chaos in African continent, in Poland, the Russian missile, you will see such challenges will open the wall. It's a pity, but I have to focus on it. 
just help, I think, people in the world to understand that this is the new page in this war. And when Putin understood that he can't occupy us totally, he will open the new page. What will be the new? Baltic, Poland, for him it doesn't matter. What will be more weakness and more possible? And that's why when you say, what is my goal? I'm the president of Ukraine. My goal is the same, but we are the part of all this war. And it's a pity that I have to say this, but I see it. Ukrainians are fighting for the world. That is the answer what the world has to focus and recognize. I think after two years, we have to do it. Europe and world have to do it. And don't speak about support to Ukraine. You support you, yourself. Giving us money or giving us weapons, you support yourself. You save your children, not us. You save your children when you fight to get back our children. Because otherwise, if you can give this possibility to Russians to take children, they will take other children. It's powerful stuff listening to Zelensky say that. And I think that is actually at the core of his message now. This is not you helping Ukraine. This is you helping yourselves. The question I have is whether that message is going to land. It's powerful rhetoric, but when you look at opinion polls, when you look at the amount of attention people are paying in America or in Europe to Ukraine, are they seeing what is happening there as an existential threat to themselves? Maybe the Baltics, yes, maybe Poland to a degree, but my worry is the further west you get, the less this message is landing. I think this message can only land if Western politicians go to their public and saying this is what that country is fighting for. Because if it's not going to be Ukrainian children, Ukrainian man dying, then it will be us who will have to defend our borders because Putin is not going to stop. But that message can only come from elected politicians in the West. And what's been very striking for me is that not a single one, with the exception of President Biden, and even that came only after the attack on Israel on the 7th of October, who talked in those terms to the electorates in the respective countries. So far, it's been Zelensky, actually, who's been addressing the publics in the West and managed to galvanize the public opinion at the beginning of the war. But he can't carry on doing that. It has to come from elected politicians. And we really count on the understanding from Congress and White House, from bipartisan understanding, bipartisan support. I'm thankful for them for all this time. During two years, it was huge support, not enough. Not enough to win, but we are thankful. It was enough to defend. So that is the difference. What we need and what we want. If we have different goals, it's a tragedy. If we have the same goal to save democracy, freedom in Ukraine, and as I said at the very beginning, I think that saving these values for all the world. I'm sure that Putin will continue. I'm sure if we will not stop him. And I'm sure that the price will be higher. And that's why my address to speaker and in the White House and to the senators in the United States was as early as possible, give us this support. 
And to be very clear, we need it now. And I asked them to do this process more closely. I said, of course, we will stay. We will continue fight. But I said that will be a little bit more difficult, you know, to manage with the support of EU. Because EU was looking at this signal, at the United States support. And that's why we are still now, we are waiting. I think that mostly United States society supports us. You can feel it if you are in the streets, you can feel it from the people. Businesses have long had to cope with the impact of business cycles. Now, they must address not just cycles, but cyclones. Storms spin up seemingly out of nowhere, irrespective of the ups and downs of the overall economy. Read what global executives are doing to mitigate these risks and seize their opportunities. In the fifth annual Alex Partners Disruption Index at disruption.alexpartners.com. Before this weekend's interview, you'd both met and spoken to President Zelensky a number of times before, as I'm sure our listeners remember. Now, in some ways, his message is the same as what he said before, but he's also sounding quite different. Zani, how has his demeanor changed? It was very different, Ori. You're quite right. I mean, this was the third time I'd sat down with him. And the first time was literally, what, three weeks after the invasion. And I was at that point struck by how normal he seemed, what, like a regular guy. He was funny. He was, he was cracking jokes, even as, you know, the Russians were 20 kilometers away. This time, he was angry, he was frustrated, and he had a definite harder edge. At times, it felt like he was kind of trying to jump through the Zoom screen to, to kind of make his point and express how angry he was, how frustrated he was. It was a harder Zelensky, I thought. Yes, and in the first interviews, he was almost kind of, he was in shock. Like the rest of the country was in shock at what he was observing. And there was this disbelief in a way in what he was seeing. And now he's, you know, after two years of this war, he's hardened clearly. But Zelensky is somebody who never accepted reality. He's somebody who's always tried to change and managed to change that reality. When he was told that Ukraine is not going to last, it lasted two years. When he was told that Ukraine is not going to get American tanks, Ukraine has American tanks. And he's used to the power of his words and his narrative of changing that reality, and suddenly it's not. And he doesn't understand why. And he's forcing his voice, he's forcing that message in trying to revitalize the West. His frustration is that the perception, it's the wrong perception that is becoming a reality. That in fact, when he goes to Avdivka, when he goes to the front, when he sees thousands and thousands of Russian soldiers' lives being wasted just lying there, he sees a different picture. He sees a different strength of Ukraine, and he is worried that the perception of Ukraine's weakness and stalemate will undermine further support. The example of what I saw in Avdivka, when I saw our soldiers, strong guys, and when we see, you know, thousands of killed Russian soldiers, nobody took them away. It's like the pieces of these soldiers. Why they destroyed it, Marienka? Only dead people there. No houses, nothing. So what are they doing there? And they still don't know the answer. There was the same frustration too when he spoke about 
assistance from his Western allies. He was, for example, you know, very polite about Germany's Chancellor Scholz. He said, thank you. But he made very clear that the support was insufficient. Chancellor helped a lot. I'm thankful to him. He did a lot, but not enough for us. I mean that it's not about him. It's about the goal. Over the holidays, news also broke that targets had been hit in Russian-occupied Crimea and in the Black Sea. How did Zelensky respond to that? Well, I think Crimea is really becoming the focus of this war in 2024. From the very beginning, Zaluzhny, the commander of Ukrainian forces, talked about Crimea being the center of gravity of this war, both because it's the base from which Russia is launching these attacks on Ukrainian cities, it's the supply lines, it's crucial for Russia to sustain this war, but also because Crimea is so politically sensitive to Vladimir Putin, because that's his biggest achievement as he sees it historically is bringing Crimea back into the Russian fold. The goal is to save and to have more successful steps in the Black Sea. For today, the new route gave possibility to transfer more than 12 million tons during this period. Huge result. We destroyed good number of Russian ships. The goal was that they will not block our route and they couldn't do it and they can't do it for today. To continue success on Crimea, on the south, I can't tell you the details, but we will do it. It's a pity that it's a little bit longer because we don't have some special ammunition from our partners. I don't know why. So he's frustrated that he's not getting the right weapons, the right missile systems to take out some of the key communications and infrastructure in Crimea, including Kerch Bridge between Russian territory and the annexed Crimea, which Russia uses as a supply line and which Zelensky quite rightly sees as military target. But it is very sensitive. He needs German missiles, Taurus, which he's been talking to Chancellor Scholz to. And the inference of this of the conversation we had, it's not just Schultz, it's not the Germans who are blocking it, it's actually might be Americans who are also standing in the way and they do need it to take out their bridge. About their bridge, we will work on it. Russia has to know that for us, this is military object. And this object is on our territory, out of the law. And they used it as militarizing our Crimea, our temporary occupied Island. They collected a lot of air defense around it, but these will not help them. That is my answer. Okay, so he is still optimistic about attacking and, as he says, taking back control of Crimea. But do you both think that's realistic? So it seems to me that it's very clear that Crimea is the, one of the centers of, and going to be in 2024, of military action. And that both because pressure on the Black Sea fleet is an important part of Ukraine's ability, as he says, to have successfully opened its own sea route for exports, but also because it is a way of putting pressure on Russia. I think that's going to be a big focus, but do I think it is about retaking Crimea? I'm much less sure about that. I think it is much more that Crimea is a means of putting pressure on Russia. He, of course, has to say he wants the territory back. I'm not at all sure that that is either feasible or really what he thinks. I think it is much more about putting pressure on Russia through attacks on Crimea. I think that's absolutely right. In previous conversations, including with Zaluzhny, he never suggested that they're going to march into Crimea. There's going to be a retake 
of Crimea by putting sort of boots on the ground there, literally sort of getting to the peninsula. It's much more about holding it a threat. It's much more about disrupting Russian supply lines and isolating Crimea. I think it's now we're talking about the isolation of that peninsula and basically putting it in a siege. And if Putin has to deal with the exodus of people from Crimea, which he annexed in 2014, and if the Russian public, that's at least Zelensky's calculation, if the Russian public sees that, you know, the people in Crimea are fleeing because he can't defend it, then this will put additional pressure on politics, not to mention the fact that Russia has effectively lost the use of a Navy base, which it's been using for 240 years. That's huge humiliation. What did Mr. Zelensky have to say about Putin? His take on Putin was really striking. He compared him to an animal sensing weakness in its prey. This weakness, and he feel it like animal, because he is animal, and like feeling of the blood. And that's why he will feel his strongness, and he will eat you totally with all your EU, NATO, freedom, democracy, forget about it. If we are ready for such country to be the region of Russia, like Belarus for today, when you have independence only on the paper, and this paper costs nothing. If you need such, it's without me. And I'm sure mostly without Ukrainians. It's without us. It's about something not from future, something from the past. I don't want to be the part of this. You see that he divided the wall. He divided a global south. He divided EU. And he shows it that the hell and uh, the unity around Ukraine is divided. He feels stronger. But it's his feeling. This is not truth. Until Europe and the world help, it's just his feeling. So this year, 2024, for such uh, decisions, and the decisions, not Russian decision, not Ukrainian decision, that will be the decision global decision of the world, 2024, on what side they are. Pretty powerful stuff, that. Even at the other end of the Zoom line, I was very struck by that. And I think one of the big questions for 2024 is whether that argument that Zelensky is making, that this is an existential threat for Europe, resonates. Zani, Arkady, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Ori. That's all for this episode of The Intelligence. How have you been enjoying our shows these days? I personally loved our most recent episode of The Weekend Intelligence on ambient music. Did you know that we released a playlist to go with it too? How did you find it? Let us know at podcasteconomist.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow. next in innovation? That's not the right question. It's where. Puerto Rico is more than just a tropical paradise. It's an innovations paradise where startups and global players coexist in a vast and vibrant ecosystem where talent runs deep, highly skilled, and bilingual. Plus, Puerto Rico has the most competitive tax incentives in the U.S., 
If you believe your business can go anywhere, this is the place to bring it. Find out more at investpr.org slash economist.